me welcome everyone who's here today and a brief um, announcement that I'll add. Uh, as Ed said, we are going to have a special service. Be thinking about the things you'd like to pray for and have prayed about. I'm going to tap several of you men to help me out as I've done the last couple of times. And uh, I will have some cards available for you to write that out when you get here. But if you want to go ahead and write it out and give it to me as soon as you get here, that'll be fine as well. But just kind of keep in mind uh, what you'd like for us to be praying about. And there are some very serious things that should be of concern to all of us um, that you can do. Without any further delay, let me get right into the lesson. And there we go. I'm going to talk about, I want you to be opening in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And the bulk of the lesson is going to be taken from Ephesians 5. And I'll really only go outside of there to the book of Romans. That will become apparent. Uh, And I'll go back and forth, but primarily taking it from this passage. Because I want to talk about, this morning, the dear child of God. Or, in some of your translations, the beloved child of God. Now, you'll be able to see that from the very beginning in chapter 5 and verse 1. And so, as we look at that passage, and let's just read verses 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear or literally beloved children, and walk in love as Christ also has um, loved us and has given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. When we look at this passage in Ephesians 5, we realize that what he is saying is the dear child of God or the beloved child of God is a follower of God. In other words, if you want to be beloved by God, if you want God's love and favor. Now, don't misunderstand. God loves everyone. He loved the whole world to the extent that he gave his only begotten son. I'm not talking about that. And I don't think this passage is talking about that. But it is talking about God's favor towards someone, his love. It's like John calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. There was a special love there. Or when the angel appeared to Daniel in Daniel 9 and said, You are greatly loved, are greatly beloved. It is because of the life they live. It's because of what they do. Again, the dear child of God is a follower of God. It is a person whose life is given in worship. We are talking about being holy in our worship this quarter. And I'm going to focus on the idea this quarter that worship is something that you give yourself to. You devote yourself to. I won't spend a lot of time, but think back to those definitions we put up here. That literally it's the affection and devotion. It's the obedience, even obeisance, bowing yourself before, humbling yourself before God. Giving yourself in worship to God. It is characterized by a daily life, daily conduct of following God. That exemplifies all of that affection, obedience, dedication. In other words, you live your life because of what you feel inside, because of what you feel toward God. It is like, very much, the the literal definition in English of worship, the dog licking the hand. And all of those things that go into that total devotion to a master, that's what you and I should have. So to the dear child of God, worship is not an act. In other words... Their life is given to God. When we speak of acts of worship, like the Lord's Supper, or prayer, or giving, or preaching, we speak of things we do, that's true. 
But as Jesus said, and we discussed those of you in my class downstairs this morning, you worship in spirit and in truth. It is much more than just an act. And it is much more than just something you do one day a week. It is a way of life. The child of God who is beloved by God is in Christ. And Christ lives in their heart. That person is his father's beloved child. They are holy. They are a saint. It's not a game face you put on on Sunday. It is not an act or even acts that you go through on the first day of the week. But you are a holy person. And your life is a spiritual. James read for us the passage in Romans 8. That speaks of a walk with Christ. It speaks of a life with Christ. It speaks of a spiritual life as opposed to a carnal or fleshly life. Worship is not an act, it is a way of life. Now when we look at Ephesians, and I want you just to go through this chapter or part of it with me. Look at verses 3 through 7, for example. He speaks of a moral life here, and and a high moral life. In fact, there is a higher moral calling for the dear children of God in their daily walk with the Lord. Read this with me in verses 3 through 7. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. I realize some of this is outdated. I'm going to come back and look at a couple of terms here. But rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, King James says whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, worthless, empty words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. You do not be therefore partakers with them. There's a higher moral calling for the beloved or dear children of God in their daily walk with the Lord. They're called to live a better life. There are a lot of things in which they don't indulge. Christians just don't do some things. A lot of things available to us in the world, and we're free, and we can choose to do those things. We can do them, or think them, or feel them, but Christians choose otherwise. Because they want to be favored, loved, in that sense, by God. And because they want to show their devotion to God. Theirs is a life of appreciation. Jesus, I mean, these things we just did in the Lord's Supper and thought about and reflected upon, He did that. And if someone does something like that for you, you want to appreciate it. You feel love toward that person. You want to give back to that person. Well, Jesus did that. It's a life of appreciation to their Lord who has given everything to bring them into His family and make them part of the family of God. So if something is not fitting, as we see in these verses... If it's not that which becometh saints, or it's not becoming, not proper, not fitting, then it's just completely removed. I don't need to have it in my life because it doesn't belong in the life of a Christian. I never forget going back to when I first became a Christian, and how many people would come up to me, and some of them not, not being very nice about it, and saying, man, you've changed. And they weren't saying it like, boy, I really respect you now. They were saying it to, you know, that... You've changed. It's not right. You're not right. And some of them would even go so far as to say, you know, somebody like you, you think somebody like you is going to all of a sudden be a saint or be a Christian. And they would laugh at that idea. Well, it's an understanding. 
It's an understanding where you see yourself as different. I am not the person I used to be. I am not that person who lived for me first, as I used to say. Me first, nobody second. I'm not that person. No, it's Jesus first. And if something doesn't belong in my life, then I need to get rid of it. Completely. And you notice the kind of things he says here. And these are things hard to understand. Fornication. We all know what that is. If I'm a person who fornicates or did fornicate, that's not what Jesus wants me to do. And if I appreciate what Jesus wants me to do, I'm not going to be unclean. I'm not going to be dirty in my life. I'm not going to be a fornicator. I'm not going to engage in things that are filthy. That is things, and literally the word there means shameful. I realize we live in a time where there's just not a lot of shame anymore. I mean, you can turn on the television. I was scanning through the TV last night after Montel went to bed, and there's some stupid reality show called Naked and Something. And the whole premise of this show is to drop two people off in a wilderness somewhere, and they take their clothes off, and they try to survive. How stupid is that? I mean, really, who wants to watch that? You know? But we have no shame. I mean, there just just isn't a lot that people consider indecent anymore. Where they don't want others to see them doing these things. Where they would blush at it. Paul says here, the Lord says to us, if it's something like that, get rid of it. And covetousness. Wanting what other people have. And literally, the term here means an aggressive avarice. I want, I want, I want. And I don't care who it hurts. To get it. Or when Paul says foolish talking and jesting. You know, crude joking. And that is not convenient, the King James says. The word convenient. I mean, we've taken it and made a whole different word out of it than it was 400 years ago like the King James was written. Convenient back then and when the word first came into English usage meant that which did something good for you. Now, good in the sense of really good. That I'm a better person for this situation. I'm in a better position. So it is convenient. Really, the crude joking and all the jesting and all the sexual innuendo at every turn, every level, is that really good for me? Does that really put me in a better position morally, spiritually? Paul says, get rid of it. Not a fornicator. Notice, notice how he repeats terms in this section. Again, not a fornicator. He lived in a time where fornication was rampant. Quote, unquote, everybody did it. Christians don't. Christians say that's not what God wants. And I won't do that. The covetousness, which is idolatry. The unclean type things. Repeating all of that in this passage. Not an idolater. And you know, to covet is to be an idolater. Because there becomes something that I so fix my attention on. It can be money. It can be another person. It can be anything in life. But I so fix my attention on it that now it's even more important than God. Because the choices I would make to get it, I would make them over choosing to show my love and appreciation for God. You know, Romans... Chapter 1 and verses 16 through 23. I'm actually going to take time to turn over and read that passage. I'm not going to comment on it. Just listen to it with me. In Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, 
is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even God's eternal power and uh, and and. Uh, and Godhead is the term I'm trying to get out, so that they are without excuse. But notice verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. Is that where we are? We don't appreciate what God has done. But become vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, to four-footed beasts, and even to creeping things. Paul goes on to say in verses 8 through 13 that a Christian who worships God lives an enlightened, an exemplary life. Go back with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. And notice as he begins in verse 8 to talk about God's dear children being children of light. They understand things. They see things in a different way than they did before. Read with me from verse 8. You were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For as he says, the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. As he goes on to say, for it is a shame even to speak of these things which are done of them in secret. But in all things that are reproved and are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever does make manifest is light. What is he saying here? He's saying God's dear children are children of light. They come from darkness, that's true. A lot of us here have. Now, a few of you had the privilege of growing up in a very moral and righteous home, but most of you didn't. And you've come from the streets, and you've come from a life of darkness, and you've come from a life where all of that stuff was the norm. But that's not where you are now. Yours is a life of acceptable behavior to God. That's what God wants from you, expects from you, and it's what you can give. Live like that, Paul is saying. Walking in the light, demonstrating what is possible when Christ lives in your heart. And that's exactly the challenge, isn't it? Going back again to when I first obeyed the gospel, and I would hear all of the talk, and I would hear people laughing at the idea, that guy's going to be a Christian right. And now there was a part of me deep down inside that was saying, I'll show you. I'll show you. And I'll show you because it's right. And what I hope to show you is not to shove in your face and say, hey, look how much better I am than you. Really what I want to do is show you what God can do for you. I ran with people that a lot of whom are in jail, man. And if they had turned to the Lord, like I did, their lives would have been completely different. How many of them would have lived lives, happy lives, 
Perhaps with a home and family. Decent lives. A lives where people respected them and loved them rather than being afraid of any time they walk down the street. That's what the Lord can do for you. You see, Paul is saying, if something is shameful, if it's dark, then don't even contemplate it. Don't sit around and think about it and think, boy, I'd really like to do that, but I can't because I'm a Christian. Don't even think it. Don't even contemplate the possibility of doing that kind of thing. Oh, I'll just do it a little bit. I'll just do it for a little while. It's dark. It's not of the light. So he names things. A bearing fruit in your personal life. And he talks of moral goodness and righteousness. And I won't go deep into that. But righteousness, Thayer says, is correctly acting. But not only that, also thinking and feeling. And so Christians bear that kind of fruit in their life. And and truth, they exemplify truth. They have no fellowship. They don't even share in with others who are engaged in things that are unfruitful. And they ask good questions like, if I do this thing, what good is going to come of it? Where is it going to lead? Because I don't want to be a person who is doing something that's just going to destroy, that's going to hurt me and hurt other people. They ask those hard questions. The shameful things that people do in secret. It's a life of proof. Of showing, yes, I'll show you. But it's completely, and the word really would be, we don't use it anymore, but confuting. That's not a misprint. Because when you refute something, you talk against it, you argue against it. When you confute it, you totally destroy the argument. And isn't that what Christians do with their lives? Their lives overwhelmingly disprove that the world's way is a better way. They overwhelmingly prove the Lord's way is the right way. Notice as Paul goes on here, in Romans 12, remember in verses 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as that living sacrifice. But not just that. Verse 2, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Notice as Paul goes on in verse 14. Let's continue reading here. Wherefore he saith, God says, quoting, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you life. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And the first part of verse 18, and be not drunk with wine. You know what Paul is talking about is, is the life of the Christian. The dear child of God walks circumspectly. Again, not a word we often use, and yet it's a mathematical term, literally. It is... A term which means a Christian walks as though he is drawing a circle around himself and looking 360 degrees. He's taking it all in, is the point. And that's what a Christian does. He looks all around in careful consideration of the steps being taken. Now, let me digress for a moment. How do most people live their lives? Well, they live their lives even just either just rushing into something and doing it because they want to do it. And they don't consider any consequences, who's watching, who cares, or anything else. Some people, unfortunately, and some Christians, unfortunately, live their lives of running to do what they want to do and only making sure they look at who might catch them. Who's watching this that I don't want to see it? And even in the age of Facebook and all of that kind of thing where we broadcast 
and publish what we do, there are still things that are considered shameful that you do in secret and that you don't allow some people at least to know what you're doing. That's what Paul is talking about. You're looking all around you. You're considering it from every angle, we would say, from every point of view. And paying attention, not just to what you're doing and can you do it and get away with it, but where the steps are leading. And beyond that, not just where they're leading at the moment, but where is all of this, where am I headed, what direction am I going in if I continue to live like this? That's why the passage says, wake up. Because every wrong step is going to lead to destruction, total loss in the end, Unless you correct it. And that's what Paul is saying. Correct it. So wake up. Rise up. If you've been dead, then come back from the dead. Rise up from from the dead. Don't be foolish. And the word here for foolish means literally without wisdom. Don't take steps that aren't thought about and contemplated. That you don't care where it's leading or where you're heading. And you're not thinking about where it might lead to and the destruction that might come from it. One small thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. How many people do I know in my life where when we were 11 years old, we were sneaking the bottle out of the pantry and we were taking dares and we were doing little pranks and all of that kind of thing that led to something else, that led to something else, that led for some of them life in prison. And it could all be traced back to the stupidity at 11 years old. That they didn't stop. They just kept going and kept going and kept going. And even when a couple of us, I wasn't the only one, but a couple of us woke up and said, wait a minute. We're killing ourselves. We're destroying our lives. Let's stop this. The rest of them looked at us and said, what an idiot. What a moron. You're going to do that? You're going to give your life to that? And now you look at them and where it's led. Wake up before you avoid totally the loss of time. When Paul says redeeming the time here, it's a word that means buying out the time or buying away from the time. Now think about that for a moment. Because if you live a life where you just keep taking those steps, then you lose everything. You lose the whole time of life that God has given you. Or you stop it. You stop it and you start going in a different direction. And in that way, you buy back the time you would live a destroyed life. You buy it back and now you have that time to live a good life and to live one for God. That's what he means by redeeming the time. Not unwise. And this is a different word. It means senseless, inconsiderate, not considering the end of what you're doing. Because you understand the will of the Lord. you And this is a word for understanding. We would call it synthesizing. And it's the idea of taking everything that you can see, everything you can contemplate, all the consequences, and bringing it to one point. You get it. You know, it's like when I stand up here and I say, one thing led to another, led to another, led to another, to life in prison. You get that, don't you? You know exactly what that means. You know exactly what it means to take one little wrong step and it ends up way up here where you never dreamed or expected it would go. You get it. That's what Paul is saying. Get it. 
Understand the value of the steps you take or the loss. Understand the effect, the production or lack thereof in your life from the steps you take. Paul says, not drunk on the pleasures. King James says, excesses of the world. There's a vast contrast here in verse 18. And the one side of it is all the partying, all the pleasures, all the things in life that you've got a choice. Those of you that are old enough, you can go out there and you can jump in every bit of it. You can choose to do that. But understand, you cannot do it without the consequences. And so Paul uses a term here that means excesses, but literally means waste. If I do those things, if I engage in those things, I don't just lose. I don't just get for myself consequences I may not have wanted. I waste. I waste my time. I waste my efforts. I waste my life that could be given, not just to God, that's the easy thing to say, but my life that could be given to the things that are the best in life. People who love you. Friends and family and good people and good things in life that make not just your life better, but everybody around you. It makes their life better. I waste all of that because I choose to selfishly pursue some pleasure. So finally, Paul would say in Romans 13, Awake, arise, don't give your life to wantonness, to chambering. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Dress yourself in Jesus and walk through this life. Now finally, notice in verse 18 as he continues, Don't be unwise, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, where it is excess and waste. But, in fact, I'd circle that if you're in a habit of writing in your Bibles. Put a big circle around the word but because it's a contrast. Rather than being filled with some substance out in the world so you can party and laugh and all of that kind of thing, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is a command. This is not the automatic filling that comes at baptism and all of that kind of thing. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But this is a command of something you go out and do. So the dear child of God devotes himself or herself to worshiping the Lord, thus filling himself with the Spirit. Nothing is more important to the child of God who is beloved by God than the affection to the Lord, the devotion to Him, the obedience. Nothing is more important to that than that. I will not give up my worship of the Lord for anything. I won't give it up for some pleasure. I won't give it up for some selfish, prideful thought. I won't give it up for something I want, and I don't care who it hurts to get it. I won't give it up for anything. So the child of God contemplates what God wants, and he bows himself, like Kenny led the song, casting down their golden crown. Because whatever is a trophy to me, whatever is a gain to me, whatever is a victory to me, I throw that at the feet of Jesus and I say, Jesus, you did everything for me. What do you want? You're the master. I'm not. In fact, I'm the dog. And that's the position I deserve to be in. Now, it's not that God is saying, that's right, you're just a dog. You're worthless. He's not saying that. But it's what I feel. And I look at Jesus and I say, you are so much greater. So much higher. What do you want? 
Not what I think, what I feel, what I want. What do you want? They submit themselves, and they even submit themselves to one another. What a working relationship real Christians have. What a difference that is in the world. You know, people have been throughout history impressed with that. The Romans throwing Christians to the lions, watching people out in the arena dying and comforting their brothers and sisters. Roman historians write about that, and it's like, who are these people? What are these people? They see Christians, Christians who you one day you can have a bad day and come in here and say the most vile things in the world to a Christian, and when you come back and you say, you know, I'm sorry, I had a bad day. They forget it. Twenty years from now, they're not looking back and saying, oh, I hate your guts, because twenty years ago, you said so and so. Who are these people? They are people who love Jesus. That's who they are. And what a difference it makes in their life. They obey it. They fill themselves with the Holy Spirit. And it is productive. It is not waste. It changes them for the better. It lifts them up to a higher life. It makes them go out and produce in their life. You look at their lives, and their lives are lives of family and children growing up with parents. What a novel thing in this life. Children growing up, growing up to be stable people, to have direction. You look at these people, and they are people that not only provide for themselves, but they give. What an amazing thing. They sacrifice for other people. That's the production of God in the life of Christians. And they are not guided by selfish wants. They are guided by what God wants. And their lives are so much better for it. And so they sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as they fill themselves with the Spirit. And they give themselves to the Lord. And always, at all times, they are, I, su- I suspect in this afternoon's prayers, God will be thanked dozens of times. Dozens of times. Because it's what people feel. They naturally are thankful to God. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 9, Paul said, I serve God with my spirit in the gospel. They devote themselves in their worship to God. In chapter 2, he said it like this. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not just in the letter, and whose praise is not of men, but of God, the dear child of God. Let me close very quickly with this. A life of holy worship. That was the goal of the various historical attempts. Remember all of that, the Amish and the Wesley's Holy Club and all those things we talked about at the beginning of the year. Those historical attempts were at achieving personal holiness in your daily life. It wasn't just about where to go to church on Sunday and what act to do. It was far more than that. Because the tendency is to get distracted from that and to reduce, as it were, worship to a single day or even a single activity. And that's not what God calls for from us. God calls for a way of life from us. And so, Paul speaks of the dear child of God, beloved by God, because his life or her life is a life of holy worship. A whole life, seven days a week. It is a daily appreciation to God. And you can see that. And you can know that. And a God who sees and favors that level, 
Not the once a week, one activity, a moment stolen here and there in worship, but a life that's given to him. He favors that level of devotion. Walk as dear children of God. Are you here this morning and you're not a Christian? You might say, man, you're asking for a lot. Well, God is asking for a lot. And yet, I hope you heard throughout this lesson that it's not without its benefits. It's not like someone is saying to you, give up everything that's good in life and suffer as a Christian, and someday you get to go to heaven. This passage is not saying, in fact, this passage doesn't mention heaven. No, it talks about a way of life that is good and productive. A way of life that does good for you. A way of life that benefits not only you, but everybody around you. Because of choices you make. Maybe you're here today and you choose this morning to confess your belief in Jesus. He's the Son of God and you know that He is. And this morning you're saying to yourself, I will change. And whatever is wrong, I will pull that out of my life. I'll change that. And I'll be baptized to wash all of that darkness, all of that filth, everything was wrong. Wash it out of my life. And this morning I'll begin a life of living in Jesus Christ, devoting myself and becoming a beloved child of God. Maybe you're here and you've been baptized and you still need to do that same thing. Won't you please come? Or can you please sing the song?